What's up, every? Check, check, one, two. What's up, everybody? Aaron Smith here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You're about to listen to a message I preached called The Go of the Gospel. I hope it encourages you. I hope it empowers you. I hope it gives you faith to step out and take risks this week. I love you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, if you have your Bible, flip it open to Matthew 28. Um, man, I love Pastor Sergey. what he's doing. Man, he is bringing reformation to a city. He's bringing reformation to a town with the purchase of buildings and repurposing them, bringing in refugees. That's what the gospel does. And uh, Sarah Beth and I, we're, we're leading the team next month to Estonia, and we're so excited to go. We really felt like the Lord said, I want you to go do there what you do here. So we're gonna go take night and day prayer. And Psalm 27, it says, verse three, the war may arise, and this I will be confident, right? And we know, the, we know the verse, but that I would dwell in your house all of my days, and I would behold your beauty, but in the day of trouble that you shall hide me. And when David writes of war, he writes of the house of the Lord and what the house is meant to be for those that are in the middle of war. And so, man, we're so excited to come bring prayer, night and day prayer to this village and this town. And I know many of you have gave and have been a part and we just wanted to say thank you and update you on that trip as well. Um, but Matthew 28, if you will flip over there. I'm gonna preach to you tonight about the Great Commission. How many of you were just at the send? Yeah. All right, we're gonna be in verse 17. Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is alive and active. Lord, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, I thank you that it divides between soul and spirit, Jesus. Lord, and we thank you that you have built up a community that upholds your word as our standard, the standard over our lives, Lord. And so we just, I ask that as I look at your word, as we unpack your word, Lord, that it would um, encourage, it would convict, Lord, it would empower and Lord, I just pray tonight that fear would be eradicated from lives in the room, Jesus. I thank you for all that you have called everyone in this room to, all that you've put um, in each and every heart in the room, Lord. And we just declare that it's time to come forth. It's time to come out in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before I read this passage to you, it's Matthew 28. We'll be in verse 17. Um, but this week, it's a special week for me. Uh, this exact week, 10 years ago, in May of 2012, I gave my life to the Lord. And so this week for me is a decade that I've been following Jesus. And I gave my life to the Lord at a high school track meet. Nobody preached the gospel to me. No one came and laid hands on me. I had a moment with God where he revealed, his, where he revealed himself to me. And I was raised in the church, but I was the epitome of a boy who had church hurt. Um, I had just seen church done wrong, and if there was anything I did not associate with uh, God's house or with following Jesus, it was fun. <laughs> it was not fun to follow the Lord. I was just raised extremely legalistic, um, very, very uh, do's and don'ts based, and so I ran as far from God as I could, and I, I didn't know if I believed in God, but if I did, I hated him. That's, that's how far my heart was from the Lord, and at this track meet in May of 2012, the presence of God hit me. It whacked me, it flipped me upside down. I'm weeping, 
I'm surrounded with teenagers that I'm going to school with, weeping. I give my life to the Lord. And uh, I'm not gonna get into a lot of details of that, but after I got saved, I went to the leadership of my church and I started telling them what, what was going on in my heart, that I had experienced Jesus, that I'd given my life to the Lord. And the youth pastor at the time, he looked at me and he said, you need to come with us to El Salvador. And so the first thing the church empowered me to do after I got saved was to go to the nations was to go and share this Jesus I had just experienced. And I went to El Salvador, I went, I went with this team, and uh, on that trip I saw a witch doctor in a village that we were in come to experience the power of God and give their life to Jesus. I watched a man who was crippled and he could barely walk, he kinda stumbled into this meeting, he gets hands laid on him, he gets prayed for, um, he, his back, he shoots straight up. He came in hunched over. His back shoots straight up. He sprints out of the building. He leaves. He doesn't say a word. And about 15 minutes later, he comes back with his entire family. His entire family gets saved that night. This was my introduction into following Jesus. And, um, and I can truly say 10 years later, following Jesus, if I could say anything in this decade of following the Lord, it has been fun. It has been a blast. And I remember it about... Uh, about four years ago, I was, I was the youth pastor here, and I was working with teenagers, and I was just a little burnt out, and I had a, a, I had a lunch that I set up with a mentor of mine, and we went to Emporium Pies and Bishop Arts, and yes, we love Emporium Pies. If you have not been, go tonight after service. Go get a pie. Um, but I went, and I was there. I was waiting for this mentor of mine, and he came in a little late. He sits down at the table, and I just start opening my heart. I start telling him of all the things that's going on, I feel burnt out, I'm tired, I had grown weary in doing good, like Paul writes about in the Gospels. And um, this, this mentor of mine, he looked at me and he had a white shirt on similar to this and he had a black smudge on his shirt. And he said, Aaron, you, know, you wanna know how you avoid burnout? I'm like, yes, please tell me. And he points at this smudge on his shirt and he goes, this is mascara. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting comment, but tell me about the mascara, and he says, on the way in here to meet you, I was walking in, and I saw this lady on the street that I did not know. I had a prophetic word for her, so I walk up to her. I give her the prophetic word. She starts weeping. She throws her head into my chest, and this is her mascara. She just gave her life to the Lord before I walked in here. She said, the way you avoid burnout is you pray for people weekly outside of the church, and I've never forgot that, and and. I wanna to talk to you today about the Great Commission because I really feel like in this hour, it is what the Lord is doing in the global church. He is commissioning the church to step into what they've been called to. He's commissioning Christians and believers and followers of Jesus to truly go and do. And so if I could title this message anything, I would title it, The Go of the Gospel. Because you can't spell gospel without go. Think about that, it's part of gospel. You cannot spell gospel without the letters G-O, without go. And I really feel like the Lord, uh, if, he, if he's gonna do anything tonight, I felt him say he's going to deliver us of fear. He's gonna break the fear of man. Where many of you have been in this room and you've had a desire to step into what he's called you to, let me tell you, he's commissioned you, he's permissioned you, now it's time for us to step over fear and do it. And so I wanna look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, starting in verse 17. It says this, it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. 
So a little context here. Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid to rest in the tomb. He's resurrected, and now he's revealing himself to the disciples, and this is the last words he will say to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Everybody say go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. How many of you drove here tonight? It's probably all of us. <laughs> um, I, was, I was thinking about, when I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about traffic. I was thinking about traffic in Dallas, and I, did not, I was not raised in the Metroplex, so when I first moved here, the driving here seemed insane to me. I'm like, Texas drivers are crazy, and I am a Texas driver, but there's something about Dallas drivers. Um, but if there's three things I can't stand when, when I'm driving when I'm driving here, when I'm going anywhere, there's three things that will just really irk me. You know when you get behind drivers that you're like, oh my goodness. It's slow drivers. How many of you get behind slow drivers and you're just like, oh my gosh, Lord, give me grace. I prayed for patience and you put me behind a slow driver. Man, slow drivers, they get me. Or honkers. Come on, when I get honked at, I have to, I have to remind myself I'm saved. I have to remind myself that I'm a Christian. I would be having the best day and someone honks at me and all of a sudden I'm mugging them. I'm like, Argh. and then I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm saved. Grace to you, brother Pete, you know? <laughs> but I get honked at and I'm like, why are you honking at me, you know? But if there's anything that really gets me when it comes to traffic and driving, it is when I'm at a stoplight behind another car and the light is green. You ever been there? But they won't go. And you're like, are you kidding me? Then you become the honker, you know, and you're like honking at them. And you're like, go, dude, go, like it's green. Um, I was thinking about the Great Commission, and I was thinking about how a lot of Christians live their life that way. A lot of Christians live their life like if they're at the green light of their life, yet for some reason, they won't go. And I really feel like it's time for us to go. You know those moments where you're there and you're like, come on, bro, you can go. Like, it's green, hello. I feel like oftentimes heaven, that the Lord is looking over the balcony of heaven, right? And he's like, come on, you can go. You've been commissioned to go. You've been permission to go. I love that last week, Malden, if you're here and you listen to his sermon, he was talking about Saul. When Saul was, he gets commissioned to be king, yet then he goes because he's small in his own eyes and he hides behind his baggage, Right, And I was thinking about how he says the prophetic word he gets in that moment is all that is in your heart to do, let your hands do. Yet he wasn't able to do it because he was small in his own eyes. And man, if there's anything I feel like uh, I want this generation to step out of, it's being small in their own eyes. And knowing, man, you can go. You can. The Lord has put the things in your heart for a reason because it's part of the Great Commission. 
Oftentimes we make the Great Commission about getting your passport and getting out of America, and we're gonna talk about the nations a little bit tonight, but man, the Great Commission is so much more than that. It's about reaching every people group, every area of influence, about reaching politics, about reaching culture, about reaching Hollywood, about reaching the nations, about reaching your neighborhood. Man, and oftentimes we're at the green light of our lives, yet we will not go. Yet the Lord is saying, go therefore and make disciples. And so I wanna look at the Great Commission and I wanna talk about this tonight because last night I was, I was preparing for today and I heard the Lord say, he said to me, Aaron, if you wanna prepare for your sermon, live stream, live stream the send. And I was like, what? You know, it kind of felt like a curveball to me a little bit. But I felt like the Lord said, live stream the send. And so I put on the send and I watched as 60,000 of the global church People have flown over from all over, from multiple nations to come to one gathering in Kansas City, all around unifying around the Great Commission. And I'm watching the sin. I'm watching leaders get up and lead and share. And I just start weeping, watching the sin, going, wow, Lord, you are really empowering your church in this hour. And, uh, but I don't, I don't know if you're like me. Oftentimes when I've heard sermons about the Great Commission, I can feel the pressure of the Christian duty. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, I don't wanna do that because I feel like you're pressuring me. I don't wanna do that because, you, have you ever been there? And um, as I was praying, I felt like the Lord said, no, 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 there's, there's three realities you have to live from to really step into the Great Commission. And I wanna look at those three realities here out of the words of Jesus. And I really believe these, these three things will help us get outside of ourselves. I think it's gonna really empower us and man, set us up to have fear broken off of our lives. In Jesus' name. If you're with me, say amen. amen. The first one's in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them. And Jesus came and spoke to them. The first reality to live from is the power of his voice. It's living from the reality of the power of his voice. You know, this is, this is Jesus who's talking. You know, the Great Commission wasn't something that was developed by a pastor or a preacher. It wasn't something that was developed by a denomination. These are the words of Jesus. If you think about all the times Jesus speaks in scripture, there's a 12-year-old little girl who has just died, yet Jesus comes on the scene, and when he speaks, the power of his voice, Talitha Kum, and the little girl, right? She gets up from the dead. Or when the disciples were terrified of the winds and the wave, and they thought, man, this is it. This is how we're going out, yet Jesus comes in the power of his voice, peace be still, and in a moment, nature obeys his voice. When Jesus curses the fig tree, in a moment, it dies, or it is finished, we get this tattooed on our bodies. We have this on our social medias. It is finished. The power of those words. When Jesus said those words forever, history was changed with the words of Jesus because of the power of his voice. And now here in scripture, you have Jesus saying, go. Come on, it's living from the reality of his voice. I have learned that his voice is either everything or it becomes nothing. His voice is either everything or it becomes nothing. And scripture is threaded. I love reading the Psalms. I love reading the words of David. 
I love seeing what Jesus says when he's on the earth. Scripture is threaded with things like, I love the Lord because he hears me. Or Jesus gets up and he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. It's a biblical principle that God hears us, that he hears our prayers. So the question is not, God, do you hear me? But the question is really, do we hear God? Do we hear him? Are our ears open? Are we living in such a way where we're saying, Lord, let your voice guide me. Let your voice lead me. Because I have found that when his voice leads you, you'll find yourself doing things that you've been afraid to do your entire life. There's something about his voice when his voice speaks that, that still small whisper that sounds like a roar. You know what I'm talking about? It empowers you. And all of a sudden you're doing things that you would have never thought you would have done in your own strength or in your life all because you heard the power of his voice. It's a reality to live from. Anybody in the room like to work out? Anybody not like to work out? You're like, uh-uh, not me, not me. I'm going to get pie. <laughs> um, a couple years ago, um, this, has been, this has been a while now, but I was in the gym and I was working out and uh, this guy comes rolling in in his wheelchair. Now, if you regularly go to the gym or if you go to the gym at all, it's very rare that you will see someone in the gym that is in a wheelchair. And so I was intrigued. Instantly, this guy caught my eye. And I began to watch him, and I was watching. I, I just was intrigued by this man, and I began to realize he's paralyzed from the waist down. And as I watched him doing this upper body workout, I just, compassion began to hit my heart. And then before I knew it, um, compassion turned into, wow, Lord, you, you really love him. I started seeing him through the eyes of the Lord, and then I felt the Lord say, Aaron, I want you to go pray for him. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you for, and the Lord's like, no, I want you to go pray for him. And um, I was so intimidated, you guys. I'm thinking like, but Lord, this dude's in a wheelchair. You know, instantly it con confronts your faith and it confronts what you believe. It confronts what, what you preach. And so I'm sitting there, I'm getting myself hyped up. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. And I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna do it. And I walk up, I'm like, how you doing, sir? And he's kind of like, hey, you know, and he goes right back to his own workout. So I'm like, no. How, how you doing, sir? Like, I'm trying to, like, really get his attention. And so he finally realizes, okay, this dude wants something. And he's like, can I, can I help you? You know, what do you want? And so I begin to ask him, well, I'm just super intrigued by seeing you working out. It's actually really inspiring me. Um, can I ask you what happened? And he began to tell me that he was in a car wreck, and one of the vertebrae in his lower back was, was severed. And part of the debris from the wreck just kind of severed through his vertebrae, and that he's been paralyzed from, from the waist down ever since. And um, so I begin to tell him, I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love his voice. And I feel, I really feel like he asked me to come pray for you. Is it okay if I pray for you? And so of course he's like, oh, okay, sure, sure. And he goes, but let's actually, let's go to the front. Let's get out of the way. So he starts wheeling to the front. And now at this point, we're like causing a scene. People are watching and I'm like, oh man, Lord, you're really confronting me today, huh? And so we get to the front, and so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna pray for you, lay hands on him, and I start praying for him. I start declaring that he would be healed, that he would get up out of his wheelchair, that in the name of Jesus, you know, I'm just praying all the things. And uh, after we pray, he's like, okay, thank you, and I'm like, and I feel the Lord say, I want you to ask him to stand up. And I'm like, uh, okay, sir, can we see if you can stand up and see if it's better? And he looks at me with these wide eyes like, are you crazy? Like, praying for me is one thing. Now you're asking me to get up and... Like, yes, like, I believe Jesus is a healer. Like, let's see if you can get up. And, 
and you know, the staff are kind of looking at us at this point. I'm like, oh Lord. And um, long story short, he, we attempt to stand up and we, you know, I pray a couple times for him. Long story short, he doesn't get healed that day. But after I pray for him, the reason I'm telling you this story is I'm like, well, you know, you're kind of at the end, you've prayed a couple times, and I'm like, well, I really believe Jesus loves you. Again, it's so inspiring to see you. I believe one day you're gonna get healed. And he looks up at me with tears in his eyes. And he, um, as he's looking at me, he goes, you know, I've, been, I've gone to church my entire life, and never one time, never one time has a believer prayed for me to be healed, and never one time has a believer had the faith to say, will you try to stand? And he said, if you believe God is that big, then I believe he can heal me. And he says, I'm gonna start going back to church. And that day, he just had a moment with God. Yeah, it's amazing. But the reason I tell you that story is because it's the power of his voice, that when his voice speaks, you listen. When his voice speaks, you go. Whatever his voice is saying, I wanna find my body doing, I wanna find myself responding, living underneath the reality that there's power in your voice, and if there's a reason you're speaking, there's something you wanna do. And I would stand here and preach messages all day long that Jesus is a healer. I started out tonight telling you about where I heard a man getting healed. But what I have found is oftentimes the Lord will speak and then we have expectations of what's gonna happen. But the power of his voice, man, you don't know what he's gonna do through you if you will just respond to his voice. Who knows the legacy that hit that man's family? Who knows how his family was impacted and where he's at today or if he's walking today? But the fact of it is, is that God... When he speaks, there's a mandate on us to listen. It's the power of his voice. And I really feel that we need to fall in love with the voice of Jesus again. To truly fall in love with his voice and say, Jesus, your voice is everything to me. You know, it's what Jesus says when, when the devil comes and tries to tempt him. And he says, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every rhema. Not logos. Logos would be the written word of God. But by every rhema, the here and now voice of God, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every here and now word of God. But the voice that he's speaking. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, then when I speak, you'll respond. His voice must be everything or it becomes nothing. And you know, I've found that that voice, it starts, when I first started following the Lord, I couldn't tell the difference between my voice, his voice, fear's voice. It was kind of all by faith, right? That's why we have scripture, because you start weighing. I feel like God's telling me this. Well, oh, this is actually a biblical thing. Yeah, it's his voice. But you start responding to his voice. You start putting his voice before you. And then all of a sudden, you look back and you have a decade of history with the voice of God. You begin to live your life with putting his voice before you every day, finding yourself praying prayers like, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, when you speak today, you will find me listening. When you speak today, you will find me responding. I know you'll speak to me today, Jesus. Lead me with your voice. It's the first reality to live from in the Great Commission. It's the reality of the power of his voice. I thank you, Lord, for your voice. Let's keep going. In verse 19, you see the second one. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the next one is, it's the passion of his desire. 
the passion of his desire. You know, Haggai talks about Jesus, it talks about the Lord, it talks about God, it says that he's the desire of the nations. And I have found that God desires nations. It's his desire. If there's anything I've learned about the house of prayer, if there's anything I've learned about being in this room and clocking in hours in the prayer room, sitting on the stage, prayer leading, it's that God has desire. Do you know that God has desire? You can't be in a room like this for two hours worshiping, praying, and not tap into the desire of the Lord. You get into a prayer set. You get into a moment where you tap into his heart. We talk about ministering to the heart of God. When you begin to minister to his heart, he begins to reveal his heart to you. And then you realize, Lord, you actually, you have desire. There's desires that you have. And did you know in Revelation 7, you see this, but what God chooses to surround his throne room with is every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every dialect. He's chosen to surround himself with the nations of the earth because his desire is for nations. In Psalms 2, uh, he says, ask of me and I'll give you reconciliation. No, ask of me and I'll give you a calling. No, ask of me and I'll end abortion. No, those things are good things. But he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations. It's the desire of the Lord, a, a global paradigm that he desires nations. It's his desire, ask of me and I will give you nations. You know, when Michael texted me a couple weeks ago and he said, hey, I want you to pray about leading a, a, a team to Estonia. I want you to pray about leading it. I responded as soon as I read that text. I said, 100%, I'm in, I'll go. And he said, okay, pray about it. And what I have found is that to go to the nations, to step into things that God's asking me to do, I really don't have to pray about it. Now, we sat down and we prayed about, do we take our whole family or do I just go? But man, I'm, I, the Lord was met with a yes in my heart. Lord, there's a yes in my heart for the nations. I know your desires for the nations and you'll find a yes in my heart. And I love what Andy Bird says. He says this. He says, you don't need a word to go to the nations. You need a word to not go. He says, you don't need a word to go to the nations. You have a word in the Great Commission. You need a word to stay. In 2017, uh, my wife and I, the Smiths, we went to northern Iraq and we went to Mosul. And at the time, Mosul was still occupied by ISIS. And so we went to a refugee camp that was on the foot of the city, and you're just a mile away from where the war is happening. And in an environment where, where I should have been fearful, in an environment where you would think, man, this will be a hard environment, you'll, you know, it's just you hear all the things on the news. Man, I have never in all of my life seen the gospel thrive so quickly as I did in that refugee camp. The gospel was made for crises on the earth. The gospel was made to be taken to the darkest places of the earth. Man, it's such a beautiful thing when you look at someone who does not know Jesus and you begin to tell them about Jesus and you see it in their eyes. You see that their, their body starts responding like, tell me more about this man and, and they begin to give their life to the Lord. You realize, wow, it's what we were made for. It's what we were made for. And you know, I, I started looking through scripture. I started looking through every biblical leader we actually look up to. Joseph, Moses, Paul, David, Ruth, Esther, Abraham, even Jesus. Did you know that they were all bilingual leaders? They were all multicultural leaders. 
they all lived part of their life in one nation and another part of their life in another. Who God chose to use was bilingual leaders. That says to me that the Lord is looking for leaders who can get outside of the paradigm of their own culture, can get out of the paradigm of their own skin color, can get out of the paradigm of what's right in front of them and can tap into the larger picture and say, there's a bigger picture here at play. The Lord is weaving together nations. The Lord's desire is nations. And now this isn't about, you know, you gotta go to every nation. I think some people are called to America. Some people are called to their neighborhood, to the marketplace. This isn't about getting your passport. This is about getting outside of the American dream. This is about getting outside of American politics. This is about getting outside of the racial divide. All of these things that the Lord has something to say, but there's a bigger picture at play. And it's a global paradigm of nations. It is what the Lord's desire is for. There's passion in his desire for the nations. And it's something that has to be before us when it comes to the Great Commission. Oh, Lord, there's so much. There's such a bigger picture than my own life. There's such a bigger picture than my skin color. There's such a bigger picture than Democrat, Republican. Lord, you are concerned with a global paradigm. You are concerned with nations. It's the passion of his desire. And so I want to keep going. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. And I want to look at the end. Flip over a couple chapters back to Matthew 24. And here in Matthew 24... Jesus, he's talking about the end times, and he's going to refer to the Great Commission in the middle of the end times. And in verse 11, it says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. What does that mean? You stop loving your brother. Stop loving your neighborhood. You stop loving your waitress. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And here it is, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. There's the Great Commission. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. And the last reality to live from is the promise of the end. It's the promise of the end. You know, we don't like to talk about the end times. The end times are scary to us, I remember when I was a kid, I always heard about the end times. He's gonna come like a thief in the night. You better be ready. If not, you're gonna find your parents with their clothes folded and you missed it, you know? <laughs> and I remember one night I was a kid, no joke, I, I woke up and I could not find my parents anywhere. And I started weeping and I thought I missed, I missed the rapture as a little kid. And my uncle had just bought a car and he was in the front yard showing my parents the car he had just bought and my parents were out there but no joke you guys in my 20s I had to go sit with Sharla and get inner healing from the time I thought that I missed the rapture um, but we don't like to talk about the end times because the end times can be scary the end times can be you know there can be this weird approach to the end times but Revelation 1, if you read Revelation 1, I remember one time I was, I was beginning to study the end times. I thought, I need to get a better grip on the end times. And I started reading Revelation. And in Revelation 1, John's writing, and he says, to the hearer, to the reader of this book, let it be counted as joy. 
And there was a shift that happened in my mind and in my heart that I had been approaching the end times all wrong. And I realized if, if you approach the end times and anything other than joy hits your heart, you've approached it wrong. That the end times, the message of the end times is meant to provoke joy in the reader and in the hearer if you're in Christ. In Titus 2, it says the, the second coming of Jesus is our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. In 1 Thessalonians, it says comfort each other with these words of the second coming. That means if someone comes to you and says, man, I can't afford my bills. I can't afford, I got all this going on. You know how we're supposed to comfort one another? He's coming. He's coming. You know, if you're having marital problems, you know how you're supposed to comfort one another? He's coming. He's, it says to comfort one another with these words. Man, if you have a prodigal you're contending for, he's coming and every eye is gonna see him. And that son and daughter who has not seen him rightly, there's a day coming where they're gonna see him rightly. He's coming. He's coming. We're meant to comfort one another with these words. The end times is a promise. It's not a scare tactic. It's what I've learned from the Lord. So oftentimes we've approached it like this is a scare tactic to get people saved and to get people to preach. No, the end times is a promise. I love the language of promise because if I asked you, is there any promises you're contending for? You're going to be like, oh yeah, brother, I'm contending for, you know, and you're going to get excited. You're going to get riled up. I'm believing for this. There's this prophetic word over my life and it's a promise from the Lord. Promises are something we hold on to and we contend for. And the end is a promise. Something we're meant to be looking for, believing for, contending for, knowing one day that sky's going to crack open and we're going to see him. You think about that? That sky that we see, it's going to be the most beautiful sky we've ever seen. And there's going to be a crack right through it. And here comes the writer known as faithful and true. You know, isn't it interesting that scripture says it's Revelation 19 and the writer of the white horse was known as faithful and true. You know, he could have come back under any name. Have you thought about that? He could have come back and the writer was known as the good shepherd. We were singing about the shepherd tonight. And the writer was known as the healer. And the writer was known as the deliverer. No, no, no. And the writer was known as faithful and true. And I have, this, I have this theory, I have this belief, and it's because on that day when the sky cracks open and we see him, every heart is going to go. What's going to bubble up in your heart? What you're going to be met with, with faith when you see him is, oh, you are who you say you are. And you do what you say you're going to do. You're faithful and true. You're faithful and true. Come on, all the things we're living for in that moment. You are who you say you are. You are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. Oh, we're meant to comfort one another with these words. It's the promise of the end. And then the end will come. The other day, I, I text Sarah Beth. I said, what are you doing? And she texts me back and she said, she's like, what are you about to say? She texts me back and she said, I'm listening to a podcast titled The End Times for Young Mothers. <laughs> and um, later that day, I was like, hey, tell me about what you're listening to. And she was like, well, I was listening to a sermon by Mike Bickle. It's called The End Times for Young Mothers. And she said he started out and he was saying, we have got to start preaching The End Times in such a way that young mothers can receive it. Because if a young mother isn't scared, nobody would be scared. And I started thinking, that's it. It's the promise of the end. It's the longing of our hearts. Um, I, I want to share a dream with you. Many of you in this room have probably heard this dream, but I really felt like I was supposed to share it tonight. 
a year ago, a little over a year ago, Lou Engle came to our house. You know, I'm going to call you to a 40-day fast. And he comes and he calls us to a 40-day fast. And so the night before the fast begins, as a team, we were praying, Lord, give us dreams. Speak to us in dreams over this fast. And so the night before the fast would begin, so imagine you're going to bed knowing I'm going to wake up in the morning, and in the morning when I wake up, I'm going to fast for 40 days. It's wild, right? And um, I have this dream, and in the dream, I see Jesus, and he's, he's standing in a palace, and I know the palace is in heaven, and it's nighttime in the dream. And Jesus starts walking through the palace, and he comes to this room that I know in the room is a secret room. It's a private room, and I know it's a room that means a lot to Jesus. And um, he comes into this room, and in the room is a carpet in the center of the room, and it's surrounded by six or seven burning candles. Now, Revelation talks about the seven lampstands that are burning, and I see this in my dream. And so Jesus gets down on his knees, and, he, and I think in the dream, oh, Jesus is about to pray, but he doesn't pray. He turns his ear towards the carpet, and he puts his ear low like he's listening to something. Instantly, it zooms into the upper room, and the upper room, is, it's filled, um, and we're in the context of worship, and we're all lifting our hands, and we're praying this prayer. You can come. Will you come? You can come. Will you come? Instantly, the, the dream goes back to heaven, and angels flood in this room, and they surround Jesus, and the angels begin to open their mouth, and in unison, they say this phrase, and when they said the phrase, it sounded as if the voice of the Father was declaring it through the angels. And the phrase was, you can go. You can go. Instantly, Jesus stood up, and the entire palace came from heaven to Jerusalem. And then I woke up. And many of you, raise your hand if you've heard that dream before. Yeah, many of you have heard the dream. And that dream, along with many others, and just, just this prophetic swirl, it seemed like the, the Lord put us in, but it has sent our house into this message and this theme of Maranatha. It was our end of year conference, Maranatha. We just released a Spanish album titled Maranatha. Uh, Michael's been doing a series, Maranatha. And it has led us down this track of Maranatha. Maranatha is a word uh, meaning he came, um, he's coming, so come. But it was a word that the early church would use contending and believing for the second coming of Jesus. Maranatha, he's coming. You can come, Lord. Will you come? Why am I sharing this dream? Because in the heat of all of this, and the, while all this is going, we were in a night of worship, and we were praying into the dream, and I heard the Lord say this phrase to me. He said, Aaron, a true Maranatha cry will always provoke you to step into the Great Commission. A true Maranatha cry will always provoke you to step into the Great Commission. Can I have the band come? Someone hop on the keys. Alyssa, come up. And it says this, it says to preach the nation or to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the world in every nation and then the end will come. So if you start to have a paradigm of the end times and you start being gripped by the end times, praying prayers like, Lord, you can come, will you come? Then you have to know that before that comes the preaching of the gospel to the world, the preaching of the gospel to every nation, every tribe, every place. And... Um, we're at the green light of our lives in the church, and it's time to go. I want to read this quote to you, and then we're going to pray. This quote has sobered me, and it says, The graveyard is the richest place on earth. It is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, 
the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, or the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid. And my question for you tonight is what has the Lord put in your heart that you've been afraid to step into? What is it that the Lord has asked you to do? What is it that the Lord has given you to do that for some reason you have found yourself bound by fear, not able to move forward? Because I hear the Lord saying tonight, you can go. It's time to go, the light is green. It's time to step into what you have permission to do, to go into all the ends of the earth. For some of you, I feel like that is to nations. I feel like, man, when I was, at, when I was in, in high school, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I was a teenager, and I got this mandate to go to nations. I knew part of my life, part of following Jesus is going to involve going to nations. But that also, for some of you, it may mean going to your neighborhood. Last night, there was these little girls down the street. They're our neighbors, and they had a lemonade stand. And we stopped to get lemonade, and, um, and we, we were in separate cars. Sir Beth and I, we were coming home. I stopped to get lemonade, start talking to the dad, and then I tell Sir Beth when she comes home, did you see the lemonade stand? And she said, yeah. I, I started preaching the gospel to these little girls. And I started thinking, like, man, far be it from me that I would stand in platforms and see breakthrough in the church, but I'm not seeing it in my own neighborhood. That, man, we're called to reach our neighborhoods. We're called to reach our businesses. We're called to reach all, all of the places on the earth that have not yet been reached. And so oftentimes we talk about the politics of America like, man, they're so twisted. Or Hollywood, like it's so twisted. Well, well those of you who are called to be actors, that's why you're called to be an actor. Not to get famous and to get checks, that may come. But you're called to impact Hollywood, to impact the way that movies come forth. Those of you who have desires to be an entrepreneur, it's God put it there for a purpose and a reason, to impact the marketplace. Man, it is time for the church to go. I love the house of prayer. I love the prayer room. I will give my life to the house of prayer. I have a desire to get wrinkles in this room. I have a desire to, to get gray hair in the place of prayer. But man, I also have to meet the prayer room with my two feet walking out of that door, preaching to people, telling people about Jesus. Not out of pressure, out of if I've seen him as beautiful, you gotta know, because how will you know he's beautiful if we do not step into that place and begin telling people? And I feel in this hour that the missions movement is partnering with the prayer movement and it's time for the church to go. It's time for houses of prayer to become launch pads. To say, you've been sitting in this room for a year? Amazing. Take the DNA of this room to another city. Take the DNA of this room to another nation. Take the DNA of this room. Man, I love Axel. Axel's not here tonight. But Axel has been getting prayer rooms in high schools. High schools. It's like 17, something crazy like that. 17 different prayer rooms in the Metroplex where prayer rooms are being established in high schools. It's wild to me what God will do with someone who says, yes, I'll go, I'll go. But I wanna end here. Paul says this in Galatians 1. He says, I would not be a minister of the gospel if I still pleased men. In other words, he says this. I would not be a minister of the gospel if I was still bound by the fear of man. And I really feel like tonight, it's, what, it's why I preached this message, I felt the Lord saying that he wanted to deliver us of fear. Would you stand with me?
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Lord, and I thank you, Jesus, that you have permissioned every believer in this room to go, to go somewhere, to go to some people, to go to some place, to go to some area. Maybe it's nations. Maybe it's the hardest and the darkest. Or maybe it's next door. Maybe it's to the marketplace. Maybe it's to Hollywood. Maybe it's to politics. Maybe it's to high schools. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, for bringing a movement into the church of sending believers out to declare the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, it's why the gospel was made. It's why the gospel was preached. Lord, for those who have not heard, for those who have not seen. And Lord, I ask you tonight, Lord, number one, to begin to speak to those in the room, Lord, who, who would maybe say, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what you've asked me to do. I don't know where you're sending me, Lord, that you would begin to speak. Maybe it's to go to another nation this year, or maybe it's for a decade from now, Lord, but that you would speak tonight. You'd begin to commission and speak. Lord, but I pray that anyone in the room tonight who's been bound by fear. I want to invite you if, you, if you would say, I've been bound by fear. There's been fear that's met me. The fear of man, the fear of speaking up, the fear of preaching the gospel. If that's you, I want to ask you to lift both your hands up. And I'm going to pray that the Lord would break fear tonight. That the Lord would break fear off of the church. That, that the Lord would break fear off of everyone in the room who's been bound by fear. So Jesus, I thank you Lord, I'll declare it again, scripture, Lord, your scripture that's sharper than any double-edged sword that you have not given us a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear did not come from you. A spirit of fear is not of your kingdom. A spirit of fear is not of your nature, Lord, but it's a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind, Lord. And I thank you for power, Lord meeting everyone in the room who's been afraid. They've been afraid to step out. They've been afraid to take risks. But Lord, would you meet them tonight with your power? Lord, with your power. Lord, I thank you for your voice that leads, that speaks. I ask tonight, Lord, that you would begin to inconvenience us. Lord, when we go out, when we go to restaurants, when we go out with friends, that we would be inconvenienced by your voice. We would hear your voice speaking and leading, that we would be like, man, I can't go out in public without hearing the voice of the Lord. Because he's always speaking to me about someone. He's always giving me a word for someone. He's always giving me this prophecy for someone and we would find ourselves inconvenienced with your voice Jesus but responding to your voice responding to your voice Jesus teach us to be people who live by your voice saying Lord speak Lord lead me Lord use my life my little life my little frail life little me use me Lord if you speak I'll go if you speak I'll go Lord your voice that in a moment it speaks it eradicates fear the moment your voice, that whisper comes, Lord, and it eradicates that roar of fear in a moment, Jesus. I ask for fear to be broken in the room. Oh, Jesus. I really feel like I wanna open the carpet for those of you who you're like, man, I, I, I've just been bound by this thing to come forward. Come get on your knees before the Lord. You know, oftentimes, what, what, how the Lord delivers us of fear, he gives us an opportunity. 
found oftentimes when I'm like, Lord, I, I, I wanna evangelize, I don't wanna be afraid, the Lord gives me an opportunity to respond. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond tonight, to come get before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Lord, send me. I feel like for some of you, the Lord might give you a call to a nation. If it is a nation, if you're like, man, I wanna go to the nations, ask the Lord for one, saying, Lord, send me, give me opportunity, give me open doors. Lord, teach me to love my neighborhood. I feel that one so strongly that for some of you tonight, you've had a desire to see your neighborhood impacted, to see your apartment complex impacted. And Lord, we just ask for you, Jesus, to give us an impartation of your love, to be that love to neighborhoods, to be that love to apartment complexes, Jesus, to step into this expression, Lord, of expressing you to people who do not know you. Thank you, Jesus. I want to invite our ministry to come, our ministry team to come lay hands, to come pray for people.